Hey, I'm Steve Fallon. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by Free Agent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 60,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. So to join them and me, why not claim your one-month free trial? Visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for art director Kirsten Murray. So one of my biggest motivations for going freelance in the first place was to create a work travel balance. I wanted to see more of the world, but not give up my job. When you're becoming freelance, there's not a great deal of money that you have to put down to start. It really is more about your contacts and your experience. Making time for side projects has made me not only a better designer, but a more legitimate mentor. Instead of waiting for someone else to present you with opportunities, make them for yourself. Yeah, so there is Kirsten. Looking forward to hearing her story. She is a freelance art director and designer. She's on the road. Uh, She's traveling at the moment. So we'll find out what she's about and where she is as well very soon. If this episode sounds a bit different, by the way, this is the first one that I've recorded not in my usual spot of the dining room in our little cottage. I am in a co-work space and it's a bit echoey. Maybe it won't notice. Maybe you won't care. (laughs) Maybe you'll hear the slamming door or something as people walk by. But yeah, if you watch my vlog, uh, beingfreelance.com or on YouTube, you can see that I have moved out from home and I'm giving co-working a go on a more sort of like permanent basis. And so, yes, I thought rather than going home, I will try recording the podcast here. So I hope it sounds all right. And yeah, check out the vlog to see how I get on. I'm wondering whether being in a permanent co-work type space atmosphere will will make me more productive. We will see. Also, I should say this is episode 150. <laughs> which is insane. So thank you so much for listening and for your support and also to every single one of those guests who has taken the time out to share the way they have. Um, I started it in 2015 in January and look at that, we're nearly into 2019 as I sit and record this. So yeah, 150 episodes. Thank you so much. You can um, find them all at beingfreelance.com. Right now though, let's crack on, shall we? And chat to freelance art director Kirsten Murray. Hey, Kirsten. Hi, Steve. How are you? I am good. More importantly, where are you? I am currently in Hoi An in Vietnam. Wow. Okay, right. Well, before we find out how you've ended up where you are geographically, how have you ended up where you are career-wise? Like, How have you ended up being freelance and doing what you're doing? So it, it all started about three years ago, and I was very lucky in that I was part of the Special Edition Development Programme, which is run by an organization called TRC Media. And it was created to address the underrepresentation of women at board level in the digital sector in Scotland. And as part of the program, we were asked to think about our life goals and to write them down. And you think you know what you're working towards until you have to put pen to paper. So I scribbled down, find a way to travel and create at the same time. For anyone who's who's never written their goals down, I highly recommend it. It's something that's been really effective for me. And not just writing the goal down, but writing what I will do tomorrow to work towards it. And then in a week's time, 
a month's time and six months. So if your goal is to start working freelance, then what are you going to do tomorrow to make that happen? And suddenly it becomes a lot more real and tangible. So fast forward three years and I'm working in a design studio in Edinburgh. And that's where I met fellow designer and my now work wife, Kat Summers. And we shared a lot of ideas on the kind of work that we wanted to be doing, who we wanted to be working with and how we wanted to work. So as I was preparing to leave Scotland and travel the world, I just said, why don't you come with me for a few months and we'll have a go at this freelance thing together. So we left our jobs, booked a one-way flight to Sri Lanka and pretty much figured out the rest on our travels. Wow. So you weren't freelance. Yes. So for the past 10 years, I've worked in advertising agencies and design studios. I had picked up the occasional freelance job, but, um, you know, it was never, I'd never worked for myself before. When you decided to go freelance, did you have a body of work? You know, like when you've been working in agencies for ages, often a problem is that actually that's not your work to show, it's the agency's work. Like, Is that something you came up against? Yes and no. I, d- I did worry about that. But at the same time, I think, especially if you're going freelance and not starting a company with employees or, or you're going into a partnership, I showed the work I'd been doing at agencies, but was incredibly open about where I'd done them. And on my website, I give credit where credit is due. So did I partner with an illustrator? Who was the photographer on the job? Because I think it's important for clients to know, if anything, how many people are involved in making a particular job happen and come to life. So some of the work is my own. And and before actually leaving to go to Sri Lanka, one job came in from a theatre and that was the first bit of freelance work. So it was quite nice to do at least one thing before leaving the country and and going to places where the internet isn't quite as good. So, But predominantly it was agency work, but now, of course, I'm slowly managing to replace that with work from, from clients. So predominantly when you went freelance, you're saying you were doing that freelance work for agencies? So it's been a mix, actually. Initially, when going freelance, Kat and I started by contacting a number of people we used to work with or who we knew were maybe starting their own business. And those people became our own clients. But what we found was that agencies were interested in hiring us as well. And so now it's a mix. So Kat is now back in Glasgow and she does freelance work for agencies I am doing freelance work for agencies as well remotely, and we also have our own client work. So it's quite it's quite nice to have that mix. Mm. And so how long have you been on the road? It's eight months now, but it does not feel like that at all. Yeah. Feels less or feel, <laughs> feels more? No, well, no it, feels, it feels less, which is surprising because if I think about how many things I've packed in, you know, sometimes a year goes by and you think, what did I do? What did I achieve? But the last eight months... You know, as well as the work, it's been the experiences and the countries, the people I've met. I've really managed to pack in a lot without feeling exhausted. But the time has flown. It really has. Yeah. So how have you found working on the road? I know you don't call yourself a digital nomad, right? 
no, but but I suppose I I suppose I am, but I I haven't actually worked in any nomad spaces. I'm mostly working from Airbnbs or cafes. I wasn't sure how I was going to find it because I thought, am I going to be disciplined enough? Am I going to be motivated enough? Am I going to find the frustrations too much? And I've actually found it a lot easier than I thought, but I've, I'm, I keep learning about things not to do and, and ways to improve it. So initially, one of the countries Kat and I traveled in was Taiwan, and we moved around every few days, which is much harder to get work done. We were working on trains, in hostels, whereas now I try to base myself in one place for a full month or at least two weeks so that I can get a bit more settled get a bit more of a routine but some of the the challenges and they're all small things but electricity outages was one of the things that in Myanmar was was a bit difficult and a client that we're working for we were doing a brand workshop with them and I thought well it's gonna have to be remote on my end but it it worked brilliantly I only cut out once (laughs) and I think that's that was something that was a concern is you know am I going to be able to upload files um am i going to be able to find places that have air conditioning to work in but so far and, and i think maybe it's been a lot easier because when you're partnering with someone even if you're not in the same location you know if i'm traveling cat can pick up emails or speak to clients and it, it does make it a lot easier so does a lot of your work then come as a collaboration with cat rather than as individuals Yes, it does. And I think part of that is out of choice because even if people don't approach us as a a duo, we often just say to them, look, I collaborate with with this other designer. And I I just think in terms of the quality of the creative work, more brains are better. So whilst I could do the work solo, I just find that it's, it's not only better in terms of more perspective on the the design and different ways of thinking coming together but it's just more enjoyable I think particularly because especially when making decisions and um, running through ideas it's much more fun to do that together than it is to do it solo and are you like an official business together or no we decided to be sole traders it was the quickest easiest way to do it because really you don't have to do anything other than fill out a self-assessment tax form so we pay tax in the UK and we we estimate an invoice individually but I think that doing it this way allows us to build up the experience and make sure it's for us and then hopefully in the future if it's working really well we can then transition into a business and that's exciting. I think that, you know, it, it, it was quite daunting leaving Scotland and leaving a full-time paid job, which is really all I'd known to do this. But things like that, decisions to take it, you know, one step at a time. And, and when you're becoming freelance, you really, and other people have said this in the podcasts, there's not a great deal of money that you have to put down to start. And you know, it, it really is more about your contacts and your experience. Mm. How do you balance like the work and the, the travel? Yeah, one of um, so one of my biggest motivations for going freelance in the first place was to create a work travel balance. Um, and I know, you know, on this podcast, you talk a lot about work life balance, but I really felt like 
I, I had a fairly good work-life balance when I was working in, in agencies, at least in the later years of my career. But I was just traveling for three or four weeks in holidays and I wanted to see more of the world, but not give up my job. And um, you actually, I think it was earlier this year, you interviewed copywriter Karen Marston, who's also from Edinburgh. And she made a really good point about how difficult it is to balance doing your work with seeing and doing stuff in a new country. And that resonates with me because for a while I felt really guilty when I wasn't exploring. And then when I was out exploring, I felt really guilty that I wasn't working. But I think it's just taught me to spend longer in one place. It's also a bigger incentive for taking on projects I look forward to working on because that way I'm actually sometimes, you know, if I've had a full day of of hiking or exploring somewhere, I do look forward to then having a day of work. And I think that, you know, it's it's balanced for a reason. I think if it, if it was just travel, not that I would get bored of it, but I think it would just be a different experience. I think that working remotely has actually enhanced the experience of travel for me. Mm. And have you found this like certain ways of working then with your clients or with Kat? Yes. So, I mean, we, we video call all the time and sometimes she'll just sit in a little window on my laptop and all I can hear is the tapping um, of her keyboard. And that's just nice because it's a bit like we're working in the same room, but we can maybe just ask each other a question or run something past each other. Also, I found that I don't have these set hours of working. So if a client emails and I'm out doing something, I'll just get back to them pretty much immediately. And I don't really mind that at all. I don't find it intrusive and I don't feel like I need to switch off at a certain time I do find that I work quite late because of the time difference and with clients what I've found is that communication is the most important part of the relationship so people hire you yes they hire you for good design work but they also hire you because they enjoy working with you and you make their job easier so I find that we we share work often with clients and so early and often and that's really helped with the the creative process we're we're doing a big rebrand right now and rather than having this grand reveal here's your new identity we really try and involve the client in every part of our thinking and that way when we actually do finally reach a solution it's something that they're very much a part of rather than feeling like it's something they're buying off the shelf Hmm. So you've got lots of client work, but I think you make time for side projects as well, don't you? Yes. So last year, Kat and I started The Tits, and it's a collaboration for side projects. And um, working on these passion projects together was really a way of getting back to doing design work for the love of it. Not for the money, not because we have to, because it's our job, but because we love to create That wasn't always the case. So for the last eight years, I've been a mentor of design students at Edinburgh College. And they have this wonderful mentoring program for the students led by Helena Good, uh, who I consider to be a mentor to me. And I'd always be encouraging the students to make things with their hands and experiment more, do side projects. But this whole time, I was a complete fraud because I wasn't doing these things for myself. So making time for side projects has made me not only a better designer, but a more legitimate mentor, which was quite important. And uh, for our first side project, we started a magazine called I, which features the work of creative talent in Scotland. 
And um, our launch issue was all about failure, which was apt given how many things we cocked up making it. But it was <laughs> it was really successful and people people liked it. So we're working on the second issue now. But it's only when you start working on something like a magazine do you realize just how much work goes into it. Each issue, we are tackling a different subject that is very relevant to the design industry. So the second issue is tackling the question in an industry full of problem solvers, why haven't we solved the problem of sexism? And we're finding that because we feel passionately about the subject, it's been even harder for us to create something about it. But the wonderful thing about this project is it keeps me feeling very much a part of the design community back in Scotland because we've been interviewing people. People are very interested in being part of the magazine and mostly because they know that they're going to have fun creating something for it. So that that kind of has taken us aback a bit that people have been so willing to contribute to it. And that's that's been quite a motivating factor in, in keeping us doing it. But also just being in different countries and surrounded by like all this, you know, different design has really made me more inspired to do side projects and, and just have ideas for them. Mm. And that's that's been quite exciting. So there's a lot of different breeze block designs in Southeast Asia, which um, I'm going to turn into stamp designs and things like that, just small things that stem from seeing something. It might be packaging in a, a Japanese supermarket that just sparks these ideas you wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, that's cool. So as well as creatively helping you, though, it's also building your your network and people who are aware of what you're doing. Definitely. Yep. And I think that, you know, sometimes you, you start side projects because you've got an idea and you want to get it out there. But certainly, I think side projects that allow you to collaborate with other people are really interesting. Because I think that the opportunities for that then to turn in possibly to paid work, and certainly being able to widen your contacts is really, really useful. Mm. You mentioned mentoring. Did you study at that college or how did that come about? I did study at that college. So um, I had graduated. It was a few years on. They didn't have the mentoring program when I was studying there. It was kind of, Helena was on the cusp of starting this really. And it involves people from industry being paired with students to help guide them and support them whilst they're still studying. And the idea is to bridge the gap between education and employment. So at the moment, you have these students graduating with design qualifications, but the actual industry is completely alien to them and so daunting. So what Helena has created is a mentoring program that means that when students graduate, they feel prepared for actually going to work. So something I've been suggesting for this coming year is to involve more freelancers as well, because that's increasingly becoming more of a a necessity for some students is having to go freelance if they can't get a, a job somewhere. And it just helps them to see what opportunities are out there and the different ways that people do things. And I think it also benefits the mentors massively. 
Ah, I was going to say, how does it benefit you? Because it's intriguing. Like I've been asked to do a similar thing with colleges in, in London, and I haven't done it yet. And I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder what I might get out of this process as well. Sometimes I think I get more out of mentoring than the students do. <laughs> so I, I think that... What mentoring has done for me is, as well as being able to, it sort of trains you to to give constructive feedback and how to motivate people. And there's an element of, of just creating confidence in someone else so that they they feel that they can do what it is they're doing. But I just, I think it's just exciting to go into the college and speak to students and hear their ideas you know, they don't have years of client feedback. They don't have the reality of budgets. But because of that, I just love their creative thinking. It's very refreshing. And I think that it helps me certainly to do certain things. So if I'm telling students to, you know, use their hands to create things and to think outside the Pinterest board, then I sort of have that in my mind as well. I've told them to do it. So really, I ought to do it myself. And it's it's also been great meeting the other mentors as well, because we are there because we have this shared desire to pass something on, to pass the creativity on. And it's just a lovely community whereby you can really follow once the students have graduated, they stay in touch. And I'm a big advocate of mentoring. I actually think that we see it as being something that's useful when you're at the very start of your career. But sometimes I think that people could really do with a mentor later on in their career when they're maybe thinking about changing the path slightly, or maybe they're wanting to shift from working in a company to going freelance. That's the time to get a mentor. It doesn't need to be somebody who's got many more years experience than you do, just someone who's perhaps a year ahead of you. They've 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 started the process and they, they can pass something on to you. And I think that's that's really important. And you get that yourself, do you? I think you said, for, was it Helena? Yeah, so she's, I mean, we, we stay in touch. And because I'm now doing remote mentoring, I, I speak to her often. And um, yeah, I, I certainly feel, and even a number of years ago, I, I reached out to a creative director of an agency and just said, look, I'm you know, I feel a bit stuck in my career right now. What would you think about meeting up once a month and just chatting about what projects we've got on or what I'm finding difficult right now? And, you know, that's that's been really, really useful. But I think sometimes a lot of people just are afraid to ask. And the worst thing that can happen is someone might say, sorry, no, not for me, or I don't have time. Or it might be that you find someone who could really help you out and and vice versa. Oh, that's so cool. Good for you. Mm. So I definitely think that you should mentor if you get the opportunity to. Yeah. How have you found the business side of being freelance? Mm, The business side. So things like pricing work and asking for money were really hard at the beginning. But once I started taking quite a matter-of-fact approach, it became a lot easier. I think in the design community, we don't talk about money enough. We don't talk about salaries or how to cost jobs. And we often end up underselling ourselves and underselling design as an industry. And when first starting out, I asked all the freelancers I knew what they were doing. So what do you charge? What are your payment terms? Do you use a contract? What's in it? And 
there was a lot there's a lot of sharing that goes on in the freelance community as you know because you do this podcast and it's a really good example of people wanting to share their experiences and they also want to learn from other people's because I really we, there's not enough time in our lives to make all the mistakes you can possibly make so I think that something that's been really helpful is people being willing to share how they do it or what they did and they wish they hadn't um, and that's helped with the business side of things. Going into this, I knew my strengths. I knew my weaknesses. Finance is not something that interests me. And so you kind of shun it a little bit. But I knew things like promoting myself, communicating with clients, pitching work to clients would be a strength. And where I have found I've, I've got weaknesses, I simply try to pick up as much as I can from other people. I'm a fan of Mr. Bingo's pricing structure, uh, which is along the lines of boring things like drawing an aspirational couple enjoying a picnic are very expensive and fun things like drawing of a penis riding a motorbike are cheap. And I think this is a great way to price jobs because, you know, ask any creative and they'd probably do the fun stuff for free because money is not a huge motivator for us. We try not to tell clients that, but some jobs that really aren't as exciting creatively, they're the ones to charge more on. So <laughs> we try to take a little bit of that. Um, I also listen to a lot of Chris Dew's podcasts mm. and he gives some great advice on the financial side of design. And, you know, he's, he's very business minded and I think he really is helping a lot of freelancers to cost projects based on their value rather than time. That's really, really helpful. I just think there's so much information out there. It's just finding the right places to go for it. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll we'll link to uh, what Chris is doing at beingfreelance.com. It'll be links through to what Kirsten is doing as well, of course. I love I love your site and your portfolio. It's just really nicely put together and so colourful and cheerful. So even though there isn't like huge amounts about you on there your personality seems to come out but one thing like you mentioned earlier you you say what people do you know on a project this person did this but on some of it you do a lot and I I remember just before we we started recording this this conversation I was saying you know what would be your job title and you seem to have the same problem I do where I can't really pin it down. And I don't know whether for you, but for me, it almost feels like it's becoming an issue because I don't quite know how to introduce myself to people. Yeah, sometimes. So I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because I started my career as an art director and then my job became designer. And whilst being an art director or designer, I've also done copywriting. And the kind of work that I do ranges from designing a brand, but also writing a a company's tone of voice, or it might be storyboarding and animation. And I think it probably does help other people to keep it simple and say, I'm a designer. But actually, I think that I probably have to embrace the fact that I'm all of those things and just show people what it is I do rather than perhaps pinning myself down with one one job title but yeah I think you know some people go niche other people I think are just a jack of many trades not all of them but many yeah actually there was a guest on the podcast Tim Clegg long time ago (laughs) go now but I'll link to his episode and he was like nobody calls Clint Eastwood a jack of all trades he's just Clint Eastwood (laughs) right yeah he, he, he writes he directs he acts he sings he's Clint Eastwood 
That's it. Yeah. You just, that's a really good point because I think you just become known for being able to, I mean, if I had to be known for something, it would probably be being able to help people solve their communication problems. And that might be through writing. It might be through design. It might be through, they, they need a big idea or it might be all of those things together. Awesome. Now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Okay, so I've decided to make mine all about bizarre foods I've eaten on my travels. I ate rat for breakfast in Vietnam. I tasted snake soup in a rural village in Borneo. And I tried Korean penis fish in Busan. Oh, God. Okay. What I love about this is that this is the first episode that I'm recording in the co-work space. And I don't know how soundproof this room is. So people, people are about to hear me say penis fish. Just as it is lunchtime here as we record. So you had rat for breakfast. So was Weetabix not on the menu? Like what was the what was the choice? I mean, suddenly Rice Krispies were looking really good at that point. What what it was is um so this was Vietnam twelve years ago. It was a street stall and they were serving up this soup with these minced meatballs inside it. And you know, it didn't taste like any meat I had had before. So I decided to ask the locals what it was. And that's when I found out I was eating rats. Nice. Oh, okay. So in my head, it was like a rat on the stick. No, it was unidentifiable (laughs) as a rat. But I tell you what, every time I see one now, that's what I think of. Yeah. Snake soup in Borneo, was it? Mm -hmm. So um, I was staying in a village called Palungan. And this is in the Kelibut Highlands, which is... It's only reachable by hiking through the jungle. So it was a real adventure. And the Calibut tribe who live there, they put on this huge feast for the whole village because it was Mother's Day and they celebrate Mother's Day in a big way there. And all of the food was local to that area. So as well as snake soup, they had things like wild boar and bamboo. And you really felt like even if you weren't going to eat a lot of it, it really was the only thing to do to be polite was to have a taste. And and was it nice? Do you know what? I don't remember what it tasted like that well. But I'm going to say no because I've never been compelled to eat it again. <laughs> okay, and the final one, I didn't even know this was a fish. Right, so Korean penis fish. It's really something that you have to Google to appreciate how awful an eating experience this was. Oh, great. So now I have to type it into my web search history as well. Okay. You absolutely have to do that. Korean penis fish. It's eaten raw with a bit of salt, which makes it worse. Um, There's definitely some dry bulking went on. Texture-wise, it's a little bit like eating a sausage, but it tastes (laughs) nothing like a sausage. So, yeah, gross. Why is it called the penis fish? Like, If you Google it, you shall see. Is it shaped like a... It very much is, yes. Oh, okay. And okay. In, yeah. the, in the fish markets, <laughs> they're still alive. So they're, they're breathing out of the little hole. Great. So now I'm typing penis fish, not just into my web browser, but in the co-work space. You might want to stick the word Korean on before that. Oh, God, yes. Sorry. Oh, my... Oh, I see. Oh, oh, okay. Mm. Well, I mean, it does... <laughs> <laughs> There's no mistaking it. There's a reason it got that nickname. Right. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I've got to get rid of that from my screen. There we go. Right. It's gone. Okay. You have worked on these stories. I really have. <laughs> this is the benefit of 
being on the road, I don't know. Okay, rat for breakfast. I'm going to say that's true. That just seems utterly plausible. Snake soup. I mean, well, they all sound plausible. Well, actually, no, they don't all sound plausible. The penis fish doesn't. It sounds like you've heard of it and you made it up. But did you try it? Like snakes, a penis fish. But I can see it just from the Google images that they're in bowls and clearly waiting to be eaten. <sighs> no, the penis fish is the lie. You're going for the penis fish. You are correct. I did not eat Korean penis fish. But I might hold the record for the most times the word penis has been said in a podcast. (laughs) If you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think it would be, maybe I'm going to cheat and say two things. Instead of waiting for someone else to present you with opportunities, make them for yourself. Whether that's getting in touch with a company you'd love to have as a client or collaborating with someone you'd admire, just go out and create the opportunities. And the other thing is to stop striving for perfection and start aiming for progress. And I think you'll feel a lot happier with the work that you produce. There is thousands of people listening now going, I wonder if I could reach out to Kirsten and make her my mentor. She's <laughs> That would be wonderful. That, that last bit be, that sounded like you should be some sort of monk sitting on a hill. That was beautiful. I've, pr- I've probably spent a lot of time in monasteries so far, so I think that might be having a bit of a spiritual influence yeah. on me. No, that's really nice. Now, just be- before I let you go, though, there, there was one thing you said really early on, which was about setting goals and how you wanted to find a way to travel and, and design. So are you still setting goals? Like, what's next for you? Um, Yes, I am still setting goals, but I actually feel like that was the last one on the list that I had written. That was the one that I was still to tick off and now it's done. And um, interestingly, I'm kind of at a point where now I'd like to sit down and work out what the next set of goals are. I'm pretty content at the moment taking life as it is and just seeing where it takes me. So I would like to be working on more projects that have social good at the center of them. And certainly a lot of the people that I collaborate with share that view. Uh, The beauty of going freelance is that you really can choose your clients. And so, um, you know, almost half of the clients that Kat and I work with are charities or nonprofits. And that's really given me kind of the, the incentive to perhaps focus on, on that for side projects as well. And do you have like an, an end? Well, no, you bought an open ticket, but is there an end to your travels? There's not. Yeah, there's not. Um, so originally, I felt like I needed to in that way that's like, right, how long am I doing this for? So um, I originally thought I will do this for a year and, and also didn't want myself to feel any pressure that if I did this and it wasn't for me, that's okay. I'll just stop doing it and get another job. But I'm really loving it so much that I can see myself doing it for a lot longer than a year. And it might change slightly. I might want to be based in one country for longer than a month. But I think that it's it's remarkably easy once you're doing it to to live this kind of lifestyle. And of course, I miss my family and I miss friends. But I'm able to to chat. And sometimes I think that I chat to my to my family more now than I did when I was living in Edinburgh because 
we've got so much to talk about as well. And they they come out and visit me as well. So I've met them in Malaysia and my, my folks are coming to meet me in Australia. So um, I think indefinitely at the moment. Wow. Well, enjoy the adventures. Go to beingfreelance.com. There's links through to what Kirsten is up to, both her site, but also uh, her you know, social media handles, also the collaboration, the tits that you can see with Kat. And of course, because she's permanently on the move, more or less, Kirsten's Instagram, uh, your photos are brilliant. Uh, but it's, it's, let's face it, it's a lot more interesting than me just walking to this co-work space. Like it's, you're, you're, you're seeing stuff every day, which makes your stories really great as well. So go take a look beingfreelance.com while you're there sign up for the newsletter and have a look around there's articles there's the videos because the vlog is back and of course there's like 150 of these episodes for you to check out now conversations with awesome freelancers just like Kirsten so whatever they do remember it's all about the being freelancer please do take a listen make sure you've subscribed uh, wherever you get your podcasts uh, but for now Kirsten really nice to speak to you and all the best with your travels and all the best being freelance thank you so much thank you and keep up the good work work loving the podcasts <laughs>